Welcome to Plat Chat, and in fact, Back Chat. We're going to be talking to Nucky from Heretics. He's a star duelist player, one of the best from the most recent Masters tournament, and uh, somebody who's got quite the history in terms of other little esports that he's been exploring in the past as well. Little esports. Little, little esports. esports. I mean, yeah. if we go back to the beginning, very little esports. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> CS is one that you were just playing right before Valorant, Nucky. And I want to kind of start there as well. What what made you make the swap over? Because by all accounts, I, I've got to be honest here, though. I've got to caveat it with, I'm not, like, deep into the CS scene. I, I didn't follow your career, like, exactly the entire way through. But it seemed to me like you were having a pretty decent trajectory towards getting better and better. Did it feel like you just hit your head or did um, did Valorant opera, uh, offer some really sick opportunities? What was the reason for the switch? I mean, I personally felt a bit burnt out after like an unsuccessful year. That was the first thing, like a really unsuccessful year and everything was going downwards. And then there was the period of like then Corona came in, everybody locked down the rosters, nobody's doing roster changes, literally nobody. And you're sitting there like for six months doing nothing, you know, just streaming, playing FPL, which was terrible back then like completely terrible so like Valorant came in at the right time I played the early access and I was like this game is okay but I'm gonna take a bit of time you know maybe I'll get an offer I can continue and then I got a few offers but I was not happy or satisfied with like the future of it how the team is gonna succeed I already knew the players and in all the offers I got so I was just like nah it's time it's time so yeah how, how have you found the transition and in terms of like the the things that you needed to do differently. I know that you haven't just been like a hardcore CS guy for your entire past. So it's not the same as when we talk to some of these NA players where they've been playing CS since the age of 12 and it's the only game they've ever known and they haven't even looked at another game in 16 years. But for, for you, what were, what were some of the major things that you picked up on or found that you were, were very good at in Valorant that you wouldn't have otherwise realized? I guess just the weirdness that came from CS. Like you were so weird at like all the things that go around the map. So like the abilities that are happening across the map and everything was not as hard like for some like siege guys or like Overwatch people. Like I know how to process things that are happening all across the map. So that was like the one of the hardest things people that fuck up when they hysterically switch. And then like I guess just like fast learning. That's like the two best things that were like I learned everything really fast and it wasn't as, not as hard to switch over from CS. I spent the time. I saw you talking about um, the, the kind of the mechanical level. There was that recent clip from uh, an interview you'd done where you were talking about Europe being better than North America. The North American guys just look like they're pugging the same as it was in uh, NA. But when, when I've been talking to a lot of people within the scene, uh, one of the major things that... I've noticed one of the major narratives for people in North America, I don't know whether you guys have experienced this too, is that fans will often say, well, there's a lot of tier one people that have moved over from NA, from CS, who are like the best aimers in North America. It's not like everybody is, but there's some people have done that and they're competing with other guys. Like the skill level must be really high. And then you look over to Europe and there's, there's like Scream, who's out aiming a lot of Europe, and then there's people like Angel who weren't really known for their aim in Europe, but are aiming incredibly well. So I think this has kind of created this um, mentality along a, a lot of North American uh, fans or players that the skill level might be slightly lower in EU Valorant compared to EU CS because those top, the top echelon hasn't transitioned over. What's, yeah, your, sure. what's your thoughts on that? I think that's really true. Like, I don't think a single... 
tier one player from CS has like switched over to Valorant. We have none. And like literally 85% of the NA has already transitioned into Valorant. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, like when like you people are going to start transitioning, I think this is the last year when you can transition in my opinion, because the next year, if it's a lot more agents and there's like the learning curve, I don't think any like tier one org in the EU or team is going to pick up any transition best aimer from EU CS into their teams, because like the learning things you need to learn in Valorant is still quite high. And it's not gonna be as easy. So, yeah, I think I don't think that's happening anytime soon. That's what I'm trying to say. I think tier one EU is gonna still like it's really high. Like you get the high salaries, and people are not gonna sacrifice them just to you know play a new game. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, though so I'm under the impression as well that there are like uh, there's quite a few good EU free agents in CS at the moment as well. But orgs are just uh, not not keen on spending the money at the moment during this strange transitional period but then also when you know just it being a new game there are going to be so many upcoming players with within the first two years yeah. as well just sure, totally yeah. new names that there's there's a window for some of those guys to miss um but but speaking on that then do you think that i suppose how does that uh change your perception on the skill level of na compared to eu i mean like just comparing the thing that when I used to play against NA teams in CS, it's like you feel like it's really random, you know? Like they they are having fun instead of like actually preparing for something, you know? And then the EU people like grinding on the next gear, they're really saying, and now it feels the same in, in EU Valorant. Like there's like you play teams and you see things that you don't see like a week from back from this. You pack them and the next week you pack them again and it's a whole different thing they're playing against, you know? Like there's constantly new things happening and i watch na and it's the same thing constantly like the same defaults same executes every team is running the same execute almost from the same utility and it's just like that's how i feel about na like i don't think they're that creative because they don't have enough igls to do so or like people that are really keen to create like strats and setups and how to use the utility and everything you know so they just play the game and they have fun at least at like how it looks from our point of view and you it, it feels like in NA, there's like the, the top teams are those stagnant ones where they really aren't changing or experimenting too much. Whereas in EU, like you guys and some of the other guys, FPX, the top teams are experimenting a lot. And because of that, it like trickles down to the rest of the teams. Um, you're talking about like the randomness factor and, and yeah. how teams have been playing and switching things up. Do you think like the, the way that the scene is so open is affecting that as well? In EU, it feels like we have so many, like thousand teams trying to participate in VCT compared to na it's like 128 and we're just chilling and in cs like we play yeah you guys played probably what the 16 top teams and that was it pretty much rotating around yeah pretty much that yeah so like just the openness the openness of it makes it very random i guess yeah. Do you guys feel that in the so, brackets always like constantly feel like you're prepared to face a team and then <laughs> the next time you play they have everything different completely different from people playing different sides to how they play, how they aggress on the maps and everything. And it's just like... Well, you, you guys actually, right before First Strike, had a series, uh, a period of time where you were just grinding through like the Spanish scene and um, playing against a lot of... Because Europe before First Strike, before these big open qualifiers, was a series of ignition tournaments where your team hadn't quite formed yet and hadn't crystallized as far as I'm aware. And then... yeah. During that interim period, 
there were some like closed qualifier invite tournaments only, like Allied Odyssey, I think one of them was called. I think it was like a tournament. I think by Blast. Blast. And yeah. Blasted, yeah, yeah, right. And uh, and instead, you guys were sat on the outside looking into that, just kind of bopping through a bunch of the, uh, essentially the <clears throat> Spanish circuit, right? Yeah, but we used it like how they say, uh, we used it as just practice. We didn't take it that seriously, to be honest. Just <laughs> you guys things. won them all. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I wouldn't say they were like a big challenge. It was like the first official, like the first two games was like the um, taking out the official stress that usually new teams have, you know, like just playing because there's like the shakiness, like the stress kicks in, like the adrenaline kicks in, everyone speaks different, everyone does things different, and we need to figure out how we can go from those first officials. So we need to push that out as soon as possible before we face like the big teams in EU. So yeah. How was the team itself actually formed then? Was it, were you actually a full team by the time you entered into those games and you'd been like, Putting, putting it together beforehand. I, I feel like Heretics were quite a late team to form in, in terms of Europe overall. Yeah, we, I think we were formed for like, the final lineup was, I think, two weeks before the first official. But like the core, like the last player was like switching around and getting trialed out and I got switched out at one point. So yeah, I think it was like two weeks before the first official, something like that, to prepare for like the first game. Right. And that's Lowell's official. project, is it? Like, Lowell was the guy building the team for Heretics. I am uncertain about that. I think it was Stanley that was building the, like, the Overwatch coach. Analyst. Right, right. He was building it. I think okay. he got, like, contacts with, with Lowell, I think. But I'm not certain about it, so I hardly say nothing about him. Well, then, heading into First Strike, for most viewers, you guys were just kind of an unknown quantity. People didn't know how to rank you. Um... What was sort of your your ranking in the in like the scrim circuit in the EU scene within itself? Like, did you guys were you guys at the time feeling like okay, we're gonna win first strike? Like, did you did you have that level of I guess not only just confidence but realistic confidence? Like, were the scrim results there? Were other teams aware of how dangerous you were? Was it just purely the fans don't really know at the moment because they haven't been on stream? There isn't ev any evidence for us, per se. Um, so what, what was it like at the moment for you? I just remember the first week, you know, we gather up. Like, the first week, we take Smurf accounts. That's the first thing we did because we couldn't, like, leak the roster or whatever. And me and Dead Fox, and then the, it was, yeah, Niso, Lowell, and Para together on the first week. And we literally clap G2. Like, we play three maps against them. We go, like, 13, no, like, what was it? We play. We literally win like twenty rounds against them on the first time. In the first two days we play. We literally destroy them individually. Like they couldn't take anything. And at that point, that team is like playing already, like winning everything in EU. And we just the next day we play against them. We clap them again, and then we start going on all the teams. We just destroy everybody for like a month straight. We haven't lost like a single prac for like I wouldn't say like a month, like a month and a half. And then we lose a few pracs, and then like continue until the first track. We don't lose a single prac. We just destroy everybody. And that, like, the confidence was, like, up here every time we played any team. So, yeah. Is and it people... hard to improve if you're a new team and you're rolling people in practice? It feels like that would almost be um, worse in some way. You know what I mean? It's, it's counterintuitive, yeah, but you're not going to yeah. learn that much if you're just dominating teams. 
Uh, yeah, because there was a lot of things in doing the first strike. Uh, I mean, the qualifiers we lost to Nip, which on the map we were so good in Prags, we actually missed a lot of things because everything was going so well. Like, you miss a lot of details because everything's going as you planned, you know? There is no, like, plan Bs that you need to think of when you play. And, yeah, that was, like, a step back when we lost to Nip, and then we, we did theory, and then we fixed those mistakes, and then after that we just, you know... You need to lose packs to get good. That's the thing about it. It's good when you impacts for confidence, but to fix things and get good on the map, you have to lose, then you have to think, and you have to do the theory on it, how to play the map. I, I think at this point in time as well, on the road to first strike, you had also swapped your composition. And, and it was quite an interesting one too, because most people had trended away from Sage after the nerfs came in. If we kind of dial in back the time in our heads here, there was some significant nerfs to Sage. People were like, oh, she's dead. She's never going to get used again. And clearly that has not been the case if you gave it enough time to work itself out. But you were one of the first teams to pick her back up again. And I think that was Lowell swapping over from the Sova. You guys were playing double duelist, I think, with like, yeah. you were playing the, the Rays a lot of the time and uh, Nisao was playing Rainer, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And then you, yeah. you swapped the comp so that Nisao moved over to the Sova and you had Lowell playing Sage pretty much just full time like that was what you're playing what instigated that change what made you sage believers on the road to first strike um well the first one was like the reina thing with niso he had a terrible game against nip and he was like he blamed himself and he was like i want to help the team more so even sova and then uh, chris didn't enjoy to play sova as much so he's like he's he literally is a sage one trick he played <laughs> only sage <laughs> He doesn't even like till this day, he doesn't have like half of the agents unlocked in Valorant. He only has, <laughs> he probably has like, I'm not even joking, as probably like a thousand hours on Sage only. Like, he only plays Sage. And I was like, he's the best on it. So, you know, why not? Like, he feels comfortable. He has like the timings, everything, like the agility usage, the wall, everything on point. So, I don't know. At that point, we played pretty aggressive too, so we needed heals. We're like constantly peaking, dying, you know. So the res and the heal was like a good thing for us, even though it's slow, not as fast as it was before, like in the early access and like the first months of the game. So, so it was that one loss against Nip that like entirely was like, yeah, yeah. We're, we're changing things, yeah, we're yeah. changing everything, yeah. qualifying for like striking, me. going for there. It's funny though, because I, I don't feel like Sage is one of those characters. I mean, it has like a, a skill ceiling that's fairly high but it's not like a jet right where if you're mechanically yeah. the, the best in the world then you're just going to be the best in the world right it feels like at a certain point the the rewards just you know they top her off <laughs> in a sense yeah but the thing is like i feel about the same with all agents you know you hit like a like a ceiling sort of say on the agent mm -hmm. but that comes to your like motivation i guess and how hard you want it if you do the theory and you create things with the wall that people don't do, like on Ascent or on other maps, you're going to be already like on a big advantage because it's going to take a long time for people to process how to counter that wall and what the, that wall does. And a lot of teams don't do that. And we start doing like walls and things that most teams didn't know how to counter, you know? So that gave us an advantage with like Sage. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's... Yeah. So yeah, mechanically, I'll... yeah, it's there, yeah. but the, the theory is really, really just propelling it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what I want to get to here as well, because when we got to your games in First Strike itself, the opening game against Liquid, it, there, there was a lot of talk about who was really the favorite in that game. I remember on our podcast, we were saying, Heretics might be the favorites. It's just hard to tell <laughs> because 
There aren't that many matches of them playing against top teams. It's impossible to know who should win that game in theory. Um, but then you guys came out. It was actually a really close game, if you think back. It was, there was, only was a... the notorious scream drop. Yeah. 97 kills every yeah. map. People asking <laughs> yeah. for soul 300 bomb. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it, it made waves in the EU scene. But one thing that I really noticed that I want to focus on first in that match is how much you played around the Sage Walls. It, the way that you're describing it is like Lowell picked it up because it was a comfort pick for him. It wasn't strategy first, therefore Lowell plays Sage. It's, it's Lowell's greatest Sage, so let's come up with some strategies that work well around it. And yet everything you did, especially on defense, has kind of still inspired a lot of EU teams to this day playing on Ascent, playing on Split. The maps where people still play Sage, we're seeing so many more aggressive Sage Wall plays in the early round to gain timings to push out different areas or to manipulate the attackers into predictable patterns. What's That, that felt like a real like eureka moment when I was watching you guys play because it was clearly a strat that nobody else had thought of up until that point that worked wonderfully well. Can you walk me through some of the behind the scenes on like developing that i'm thinking of the first map split in particular where you had the the paranoia from evolver the slow orb at the front and then you wall it off and it was so hard for liquid to on the fly deal with that control of b main on defense well the first thing we knew about liquid is like they can't prepare for us because there is not enough officials uh up until like first strike because there is no vods They're, the games weren't like streamed fully like there's it's in spanish too like uh, so to say the casters don't see like don't point out certain things and uh we knew that if we play like we take zones with the sage it's gonna destroy their default and they were like a heavy default team that waits gathers info and then they hit the site they set up scream he gets kills and then we decided you know like we have to kind of disrupt that so the walls and like the paranoia was the best thing that could do that for certain zones you know so like the I think it was the B main take that was like a new thing that nobody saw how to do. And we, we destroyed so many teams with that thing. Like we take B main, we know that the wall is up there. If they're going to jump over, we're going to hear it. If they drop down off the wall and it's like info instantly, then we can fight mid and like counter the aggression on other parts of the area, which Niso did really well, like in mid, for example, with the Reyna. Yeah. Yeah. That was another core part of uh, split is yeah. how aggressive Niso gets. I mean, you can see it in this clip too. It's just so deep in mid. And that's, I mean, that's a, a great aspect to the Reina, right? That's, again, something that not many teams at this point were really trying. Like we had Scream play a little bit of Reina, but he was just trying to carry on it rather than play it intelligently, I would say. Um, yeah. Whereas this really felt like you guys had figured something out about the agent that you could take those kind of risks and make aggressive info plays. I think it was mainly him, you know, on that agent. He had just like that confidence on it that nobody else has in EU or even any other region. I think he's literally the best Reyna to ever touch the game. And I'm not even joking about this because I've seen him win nasty clutches with that agent before, like the nerf with like two orbs, like the four orbs, like the misses and like the heals. You give him like, I would be like sometimes even dropping guns, guns to him or like power would give him a vandal on the eco and he would just casually get three entries you know we went around so like on this map especially so he's just insane on that agent which gave us a lot of wins on this map 
Yeah, for I, sure. after, after this final, I was like, uh, kind of slightly going back to the comp thing and the, and the Sage and whatnot. I was I was expecting everybody to just instantly pick up, be like, yeah, we're playing Sage. We're going to play with the duelists that, that these guys do. We're going to try to replicate with Nuki and Nisau are playing together. And I, I'm, it just takes forever, especially in NA. I was like, NA is going to pick up the Sage play because this, this fits them perfectly. It takes them ages. Now, all of a sudden, literally every map, it feels like Sage is viable. Do you guys feel like that? had number one are you surprised by how long it took as well because of how much success you guys had and then number two like is this good for you guys or or bad going forward as well with the amount of sage everybody's playing i felt like that was a bad thing you know i feel like there's not enough agents now like for example league or overwatch or whatever to like have something that you can have like i just say like a play style you can develop like we had on sage Mm -hmm. So it's the same, like an, another example, like in CS, like in, when Astralis had their insane era or like they had the tournament wins, everybody's watching them and copying them. And it's so hard to play a mirror match when you play against the same comp. And we noticed that. And I feel like the best way to counter that is you have to switch your own comp, like yourself, like theoretically saying. You have to play a different agent comp to counter that comp. It doesn't work when you play like a mirror match unless you have some theory how to counter the mirror match, which takes a long time to develop. And you have to find the teams to crack against to develop the, that thing. Official is not enough, you know, just to for everything to go as planned in the officials. Yeah, sure. I want to touch on this game again in particular, because this was one of the more interesting games of First Strike, honestly. Um, but in, in I, I guess, in this game, when you're playing, what what is it like playing against Scream? I guess is the the general <laughs> idea. Specifically, being that I think this was probably the most outlandish game from him in Valorant yeah, in terms of I just mean, his bind. stats. Bind was yeah. I mean, unbind. <laughs> yeah, that was just. I mean, every round on Bind, there was a point where. At the beginning of the round, he would be facing somewhere. Dashing down. And he <laughs> just... Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, was, it was absurd. Um, um, so what was it like playing against that? And what was the, the I guess, on-the-fly decision-making at the time? How do you deal with that? How do, you, how do you deal with a jet just <laughs> facing early round and getting th three? How do you counter it? Uh, literally, our default became from like the plan we had. It became us going as five and overpowering him. You know, like literally waiting for Scream to come at us, to kill him, and we know we're gonna run over the other noobs that in the team. You know, like they have no chance. <laughs> literally, like that's the plan. Like we said, if Scream doesn't kill three people this round, we win this round. Like it was like the thing on buying. Like if Scream doesn't get the impact kills at the start of the round on defense or attack, they crumble. And that was the thing about Liquid. You know. That's also a big problem for a lot of teams. Like when you build around the player, like there's so much pressure for him. And then the other guys are just like a bit slacking in that area. You know, they're like, yeah, he's going to go kill three guys for us. We're going to come in, we're going to plant the bomb, we're going to chill on the site, you know, and then we have to take care of like the other two guys. It's going to be fine, you know, like we're four noobs alive against one good guy. We can trade them off eventually, you know, and then it's like. <laughs> Yeah, we just changed our plan. We hunted Scream, like we meant as four, five, as three, you know, whenever we can, just to not die to like alone to him. So he doesn't have like the daggers and everything every single round. Just wrestling a drug fueled maniac to the floor. Yeah. Just <laughs> throw as many people at him as you can. Literally. And the thing is, like, I feel like every time we play like any team, 
a guy has to hit his fucking peak performance against us. Same was against with like uh, opportunist and Takas on ascent. A guy literally drops a 30 bomb. Then whoever else we play, there has to be one guy that has to drop plus 30 against us. Like always. There's no matter what we do, he just everybody connects every single shot they <laughs> on us. Uh, why do you think that is? Like, because other people I feel like don't have that same situation where it's like every single time they have to have somebody in order for them to yeah. lose, they have to have somebody popping off. Why do you guys think that that is for you guys? I don't know. Maybe it's just us, but it feels like usually a guy wakes up in the morning. He's like, yep, today I'm going to drop a 40 against heretics. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it feels, you know, like you practice against them. The guy barely gets 10 frags and then you play against him officially. He drops a 40. You're like, I don't know. You just put that down to the variability of their play, like not so much what you guys are doing on the day or you guys not missing, you know, not hitting your shots or whatever. It's, do you think that's all comes down to the variability of just people genuinely some days they play a lot better than others? Yeah, just... that's the main thing, honestly. I feel like we haven't lost on a single plan that we plan for the team. We mainly lost to some guy that is like popping off and you can't even trade him, you know, no matter if you go free as there and you try to trade him out or two. He just hits two headshots, and what can you do? Like, your default is falling apart. And <laughs> you're still sitting there like, okay, next round I'm going to do the same. And then he goes, kills the other guy on the other side of the map, you know? And you're like, nothing can do. Like, the plan I, just falls apart when the guy hits shots. I, I think it makes sense. I mean, psychologically, these guys are thinking going into the game, this is the best team in the world, right? Yeah. So it's, so it's easier for it's them like to another gear. speak. Yeah, exactly. Um, what's, what was your thought process going through this when you were... It was like a round when your team, I can't remember whether you were alive in the round. We're going, we're in like a 2v5 or something after Screamer killed two people at the beginning of the, uh, Screamer killed three, I think. And then he walked into Hookah and you had a 2v5 win that got you like back into the game and triggered OT eventually. I, as far as I can remember, I haven't watched the game back recently, but there was some wild clutches in the middle of this from Heretics too. Well, first of all, Lowell played insane. And I was like, if Lowell continues playing like that, we're not going to lose the game. And like the mentality team, we didn't give up a single, like, no matter what the situation was, we didn't give up. And when he killed us, we actually started laughing, you know, because we know that if he does it, like, next time we play against him, he's not going to do the same shit. He's not going to play the same way. We know that he's hitting his life game. Like, he's hitting his, like, high performance, high peak, everything is hitting. And we're like, yeah, this is not going to happen next time we play him. That's just not going to happen. Like, so it's consistent, the, but not that consistent. Yeah, yeah. The next game of the tournament was G2. I want to talk about this for a moment, because this was where people realized Heretics were for real. All right, it wasn't necessarily winning the finals, although that was an impressive performance. It was the game against G2, because they were supposed to be on their path to get to the finals. Everyone expected FPX to be on the other side. It was going to be the same as the Ignition series. And G2 was going to take another title. And instead, you guys started by beating them on what was probably their best map at the time, Ascent, yeah. um, with an enormous comeback. And then split as well. They went something like 9-3 up at the half too, didn't they? Or was, yeah, I think they, didn't they go up tremendously at some point? Oh, yeah, sorry, that was on Ascent. It was on Ascent, they went up 9-3 yeah. and they couldn't close it out. Yeah. What's, what's your mentality going into the, the game against what's, the, the fans perceive and the analysts perceive as the best team in Europe? I mean, we were pretty confident based on track results. That was the first thing against them. Uh, we're not afraid of them at all. 
then there was like a grudge match between Lowell and Mixwell because they had some drama, like beef from CSGO back in okay. the day because Lowell betrayed Mixwell and joined Hellraisers with me and Angel and Oscar, like back in the day, like before, like for the major. And then Mixwell got mad at him and they like, they constantly had beef and whatever. And then it was like a grudge match for, for Lowell. And he was like calling on a, on a different level, theoretically saying, <laughs> like he was so keen to win that game. And it was like, it was fun. It was really fun. And we're like, yeah, like everyone believed in what he called and we just followed him. That's the simple thing. It, That's the, what happens. The big theme to me coming out of that game was how much on attack you guys were, were playing. You were like slowing the pace of the game way down, cutting all noise, and G2 just couldn't resist but make information plays that you destroyed. I mean, David P and Paditek must have been killed as the first deaths what, like 10 times over the course of the match? Because they just, that, that was G2's plan, was to, if the round got, gets slow, peek, look for info, see if they can win the fights. And it was winning them tournaments, playing that kind of style. Yeah. But you guys punished it completely. Is that, a, is that a deliberate strat, or was that just the, the way that you play? Because you kind of continued that for a long time. I mean, we knew that they, can, they know how to counter fast play, so we had to kind of slow down. Um, also, for us to build up momentum, we have to kind of play slow and make less mistakes because we don't have that many rounds to play with. So we had to play really slow. We know that Patata can, like David P, are super aggressive. So we need to abuse these kinds of players and just wait for them, you know? And that's the thing. It worked, like, really well. Like, we, we do something and they just walk into our crosshairs. We're two guys standing there and just peeking one by one, getting info, and then they die. And then we hit a different side, so... We decided to abuse them before the official, like just on this specific map, like, you know, they're going to take info, we're going to wait for them. And if they don't give us info, we're going to group up and hit the side. That was the basic plan we had for it. And that, I mean, it ended up working incredibly well too. Yeah. The, um, what, what were your takeaways at the end of first strike in terms of what you had been able to accomplish? I mean, this was your first major tournament that you played against tier one competition. You ended up winning it all. I honestly don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't. It's just like it was, I look at it as a good thing and as a bad thing. I felt it was a bit too early, you know? Uh, I feel like it would be better if we want something like right now, like more things. Uh, but because it would be like a better, like the team would be a bit more stable. I think we slacked a bit more after we won the, the tournament, at least from my mm. point of view. We didn't fix all the things. We said like, we can do the basic stuff. It's going to work. The things, the things we know, you know how to do. And that's the thing when you win, but when you lose, that's a totally different approach to like the upcoming tournaments, the the qualifiers, how you practice and everything. So I felt that it was a bit too early as, as much as it's fun to win a tournament, but still it felt like it was a bit too early. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you put any of that uh, slacking then? Is that part of the reason as to why there was a struggle to qualify? Do you think for the first... Uh, what was it? Challenger? Challengers. Yeah, first challenger. I, I guess just the first stage in general. Uh, I think like the system was really bad on the qualifiers. You know, we won the first games and we sat there for literally two hours waiting for the opponents. And it's like you practice, you do like a warm-up game, you play the best of ones, and then you sit there and you wait for like two hours for the team to finish, you know? And you kill your momentum. It's late at night, people are not used to playing at this time. And then also the factor about this game, you know, you lose both pistols, you lose the game. 
and pistols are like pure RNG. It was in CS. It's the same in this game. You can't win pistols consistently. That's I feel like that's a big fact of it. Yeah, is that something that can ever really be fixed realistically, or is that just is that just simply impossible due to the economy factor of the game that there will just never be consistent utility? Um, or do you I, think that some of the pistols are too random? Because I know some people still, even now, um, posts yeah, like yeah. frenzy change, making it more expensive. People f feel that it's just even more random. In Back Valorant. then we had the jumping classics. We have to remember that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Classic yeah, exactly. right click. Yeah. Like I have so many clips of just Niso killing like four or five people with jumping classic. Like we were like one before, like we die and then he just goes and kills people with the classic and they're like, how are pistols, you know, like balanced? They're like saying, like, how can you win a pistol when a guy just alone, a guy with the rain that kills four people with a classic, a gun that you don't even pay for, like a default weapon. And then it's like, then the ghost, people spam and they just hit shots. And you're like, through a smoke, through like, just complete random, like running away, just spams the bullets, gets you. And you're like, like default is destroyed. The tactic is destroyed, you know, like you then some stupid plan. You have to have like a cheese tactic. I feel like you have to create some use Pistols in a way that people don't use them, then you can win pistols consistently until, until people catch up to you. Do, do you that's guys, the only way. Do you guys focus a lot on pistol strats? Because I, yeah. I, back in CS, I was definitely like, a, a really, like you have six, I'm, seven on a single map, you know, type of thing. Um, not that much, to, to be honest, but like have a certain plan, and a plan B is like a thing we have. Not on all maps, though. There's not enough time to prepare for that, honestly, yeah. like right now. So I, I, yeah. I feel like there's some aspect of like the pistols are such a high priority for some people for some teams that both sides have like the the sickest tactics or the sickest plans yeah. and plan b's that it just becomes a clash of ideas that you really have no clue how they're going to work out because you have no clue what type of cheese the other side is going to pull out right no. so it's just in that sense it becomes random because both sides are trying to cheese each other yeah exactly what what about the um i mean eu has changed but back when you were trying to qualify for challenges one there was a lot of bo1s as well um yeah. i think you lost to entropic in entropic. BO1? yeah yeah I mean, so those guys were also really not streamed so. yeah it was not stream that team was good honestly they have really young players that are like really insane namers i was like if we don't win both pistols against them we're gonna lose the game and which was the reality of it we lost both pistols against them if i recall correctly no, I actually won the pistol, but still we lost like the important gun, first gun round and they just snowballed us, I think. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's the best of ones. And we played, we called buying the Mirage of CSGO because it's so random. There's not a <laughs> single team that's super consistent on it, like in the EU at least. Even with Viper and everything, I don't think that map is like that good, to be honest. Like it's so random. Like any team can upset any team on buying. That's the only map you can do it on. What, what about it makes it so random, do you think? I guess there is, like, the agents you have to use, like, you don't need, really need sentinels on that map. You constantly need to play, like G2 used to play, like, the aggression on the sides. Like, you need to poke for info, take the duels. You can't delay for retakes. I mean, you, you can't be like, yeah, they're coming in, I'm going to play retake. You have to stand and fight to do damage, because if it's a 5v5 retake, for example, on B, I don't think you, there's many chances of you winning it unless you have a guy flanking and he gets kills, you know? That's how I feel about it, at least. Yeah, gotcha. Do you think the... 
I mean, this isn't something I don't think we've really talked about, but do you think that the state of the game in regards to the maps right now is okay? Do you think that overall the maps are pretty good, not very good? What's what's your feel on it right now? I would change bind a bit. Like, I would lock down a few areas where I would build, like, more choke points, so to say. Like, um, like the entrance to sites, to have more spaces to hide behind. Like, when you're, like, a defender, you have to defend... You have nowhere to hide directly. If the solar arrow comes or like a jet is flying in, you're you're standing in the open and like icebox is pretty bad too. Like I like it a lot, but at the same time I feel like it's really hard to hold. It's just like too big. Like some maps are too big, yeah. some are too small, and it's just like there's no like a balanced map that's honestly good. Maybe Haven is the only map that's actually balanced out right now to a point that's like you can get stable win rates on it if you have a plan. You, yeah. sound, you sound like Goldilocks. Hey, hey. So, some are too hot, some are too cold. Oh, this porridge is just right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel well, like Haven is the only map that there's like serious streaks on in like all regions, right? Out, outside of like Vision Strike, on Split. I think it's like I, Heretics I, Haven, I've Sentinels heard a, Haven, they had Undefeated as well. Yeah, Sentinels did, but I've heard a lot of NA teams have the opposite opinion to Nookie as well, yeah. where they really hate yeah. Haven. I think a lot of the NA teams feel like Haven is so random because it comes down a lot to um, which site you choose to heavily invest in and which site you choose right. to try and play for retake. And if you uh, and if you kind of pick incorrectly in terms of how you're setting up your utility at the very beginning of the round or your plan at the beginning of the round, it can be hard to adjust to that. Um, but I mean, you guys went completely undefeated on it since the formation of your team up until yeah. extremely recently. It was the longest yeah. winning streak in pro Valorant. It, it, you beat out vision strikers who were like the king of win streaks. Um, I think they went something like <clears throat> 25 and zero on split. Um, but yeah, it, something, like that. Yeah. something like that. But yeah, you, you guys were 30 and zero on Haven. So obviously you're going to have the opinion that Haven is the is the uh, the map that you can be the most consistent on because that's what you've done. But what what has allowed you to do that? Because I know that the NA teams don't get that at all. So what's or I say NA in general, but like Sentinels did kind of. But mm -hmm. what 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 has been what has been the cracking the code kind of moment for you in terms of getting that consistency on Haven? I guess the Rays and the Sage. Like, for example, an A loves Bind because it's more favorable to, like, the Jet and the Phoenix. Like, the Phoenix doesn't work that well, in my opinion, on on Haven as, like, a raise and, like, like a Sage combo, to be honest. Because the Sage locks down, like, a garage, a B side. Like, you execute A, you cut off one area. And then the raise helps to lock down the side with the nade and whatever, like, to execute. It's just, like, the comps that are running in an A work really good on Bind. That's why they hate... Haven because the Phoenix doesn't work there well and it's like their favorite agent to pick and play on all maps. So I guess like the comp and being really a lot of time on it on that map gave us like an advantage and like the stability to win against most of the teams. At That's least for some, me. Yeah. Some of the stuff that you guys do on Haven I thought was very interesting, especially on your defense, with like Para putting deep trips in mid, you know, making double pushes down mid and then putting a deep trip there so you have info when they when they re-push those areas is the kind of thing that a lot of teams are trying to do with cams, but the trip is undetectable yeah. until you get close to it. So it just, when I saw that, I was like, that's so smart that they're doing those kind of I, things. I was like, I was thinking a lot of time to make the cipher more viable. I did the theory on it, you know, 
I was like, what if we take areas early, we lift the trips on defense, and we fight on the other side of the map, you know, with the Sage and the Rays. So, like, I remember spending, like, a couple of hours just thinking, you know, sitting there, like, on the map, like, okay, can we put the early traps if they hear them? Can they destroy them? And that gave us, like, an advantage. A lot of teams couldn't know how to, like, counter it because... Like, for example, on A, a lot of teams, like, wait out the utility, wait out the Raisinate, the arrow, the smokes, and then they go and take the zone. And when there's a trip and somebody destroys it, like, we know we can rotate in time until they hit the sights instead of, like, a camera that is, like, the sound, like, the sound it makes when you turn off and on. Like, you can't sit there and just do nothing in it, you know, like, watching a smoke there for, like, the entire round for, like, the two minutes. So, yeah. That, that sounds like something that's just, like, Oh, you get a trip on like their side of the map and they run into it or have to destroy yeah. it and they just get instantly triggered. They're just like, oh, this is so annoying. Yeah, to play it's, against. it's a mental game too, a bit. It's like a lot of teams were like, why is there a trip here? Like, that makes zero sense. Like, you know, like, I'm running, rotating to the side, my teams are in garage and there's a trip here, you know, like I'm stuck for a second and then they know, like, you instantly know, like, how the, even know, like, by the trip and how it activates, you know, what kind of execute people are going to hit you, you know, yeah. is it the split? Is it the right agent there? You know, like, <clears throat> is it the lurker? It's just maybe a guy just taking his own by himself. There's a lot of info by the trip too, but yeah. Do, do you do a lot of the theory crafting on, on Heretics or is it like a couple of different people? I try to do quite a bit because I want to have a really like stable game plan, you know, like, mm -hmm. so there is no gaps. So I try to help everyone with the theory, including it helps myself too, because I know what's the plan. It's like, like writing a song, you know, you write the song, you know how to sing it, you remember the lyrics, it's the same with creating the theory in, in the game, you know, it's like you remember the things, you, you can call the things for him, you can help people with like the calling of the team too. So I, I try to do the theory as much as I can. That's, that's going to be a legendary crew right there. <laughs> writing the song in a couple of years. Do you think that, uh, now that, I mean, it seems like EU for the first time, not even seems like, rather, for the first time ever, EU has trended a little bit towards playing Phoenix now. Um, and, and you were mentioning earlier that NA loves to play Phoenix, and NA definitely does love to play Phoenix. Do you think that the EU scene has missed something then with, with not running the Phoenix, or has NA been overplaying it? I think NA is a bit overplaying it, but the thing in the EU... Like why we run like for example Jet and Rays instead of like Phoenix and Rays. It's just like everybody like how to say like everybody why people went to Phoenix in EU is like everybody knows how to counter Jet now in EU. That's the thing, you know. Every every single team knows how to counter a Jet. Like from my personal experience when you play Jet in EU, if you do a dash, you're instantly dead. Like there is no like Back in the day, like you dash in, you could stay in the smokes, you could play around, you can delay people now, you just dash in the smoke, or you do any play with the jet, you're dead with like within set within like a second of doing that move, people are gonna trade you out instantly. And with the Phoenix, it gives you like like I guess more possibilities to have a guy that has the dedicated entry role like a jet, you know. It's like a mental thing too. You have like less bad games with Phoenix than with Jet. So it's more like the the jets figured out then the phoenix is actually good because yeah it, yeah it's like a new thing here it always felt like to me in na the idea was this his ult is so powerful and so we they, we played him on maps that are easily i guess like on haven and on ascent there are very easily farmable orbs on whichever sides right so yeah. he's just 
constantly having that thing up and just constantly using it to create space on both of those maps. Is that is that something you guys think about, like the 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 balance of the orbs and what agents you'll pick? Uh, always, yeah, literally always. Like you so so like a lot of teams play like ascend now. They play a lot like heavy on the orbs because they have mm -hmm. the sky. Like now the U meta is like a lot around sky. Like you will sky see dualist skies six orbs because like the sky ult is the most OP thing you can have when you're executing the site. Like not even joking. Like six orbs. If you have a guy that can frag out. He gets two kills in the round, he takes a few orbs, he has the ult for the execute for the next round, you know? He plants the spike, he has the ult. If they're retaking the site while he plants, he pops the ult. It destroys so many retakes, destroys so many executes for like a lot of teams. It's insane. And it's like a big meta alongside with Phoenix in the U. So when when you say that the ult is um is very powerful when you're pushing a site or when you're trying to stop retakes and stuff. Do you mean the information that it's gathering, or do you mean like trying to push behind it and and kind of bait it in the same way you might a boom bot or a drone or something like that? Depends if you're running a jet or not. I feel like if you delay and you dash in and then you kill the guy because he has to focus on the Medusa, as we call it, uh, flying Medusa on, on the screen. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, like depends on what comp you run. Some te teams in the EU tend to follow behind it. And some teams just like to bait in, get the info. There's like a lot of people, like they see a lot of the Medusas flying, like the free ones, they just hit a different site, you know? Like it's free guys, right. like a direct UAV. Like there's free guys close to that site, we can hit the other side. Yeah. A lot of, um, a lot of people have started, the, the top, th I, I, I pulled this stat previously and now I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it was something like the top 32 teams in Europe were playing Sky something like half the time on Haven. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was something like 55% of the time. Um, and a lot of them were dropping the Sova for it too. As the as the masters of Haven within the EU scene, what are you what are your thoughts about running Sky there instead of the Sova or with the Sova? What's what what's your theorycraft thoughts on that? We kind of like moved away from the Sage because now everybody in the EU knows how to counter the Sage. So the Sky and the Sova is like the best picks you can have for the Haven. Because on both sides, you can play the sky on one and throw a flash and you'll know if a guy is there, if you blind him, of course. And you have a dog, you have theoretically two drones in round on defense. You can gather info without dying. And that's the most important thing on all maps, I think, even like on split or anything. Like anything, if you have like that info in the, like at one minute mark in the round, you win the game because you can stack really fast on Haven. So the sky and the soul is like really, really going to be a big pick in the EU, and you'll see it quite often, I think. Yeah. I mean, the sky really was, well, to some extent, kind of popularized by Ascend and them using it on their run um, to, to win the, the first stage of uh, the VCT. Do you think that uh, Ascend having a, a fairly, at least it seemed from the outside, I don't know if, you know, people were prepared for what they were doing in scrims, but it seemed, watching from the outside, that they were approaching the game with a bit of a different idea in regards to the composition. It wasn't exactly like anything that we had seen a team previously doing before, it's certainly not at the level where they could actually be winning a tournament. Um, do you think that there was an element of that where they were able to just catch you guys off guard and other teams off guard with how they were approaching the game? I think so, yeah. Also, the thing like in the EU, they have like an advantage I call is like the op effect, you know? Like in the EU, people don't run that much the operator, like in NA. Like there's mm -hmm. people that play an op a lot. And the EU is probably like 
ascend running the op and then maybe some cas teams that tend to build like for example gambit build quite a bit around the op too but i'm not sure if they change it now and so we don't practice that much against operators so we're not used to them and that's why like a lot of teams get a lot of picks against us including other teams so i feel like that was the surprise factor for everybody and that's why they that's why cnet played really good too you know he's one of the best chat one tricks in eu so yeah that was like a big advantage for them what and what's the it like playing against we we were we were talking earlier about playing against Scream, playing against CNET. That's another star player that turned up massively in this final. And I mean, not just in the final. CNET had an insane tournament overall. I mean, the, I th I think a lot of people have forgotten that you had a bonkers tournament. I mean, the numbers that you were putting up were ridiculous, and you still came second in the tournament ACS totals or whatever behind CNET because the the guy was just a freak. Um, what's it like playing against him when he's, you were, you were talking about a lot of the EU teams being able to counter Jet, but when, when we were watching Ascend play, it kind of felt like CNED was running rings around the other EU teams. I mean, for me personally, we're not as afraid of it as him as Scream, to be honest, because the op is like, it's a bit of luck now, at least with the nerf right now, like how you can play it consistently. It's like, it feels like luck, you know? Like, it's really inconsistent. And I'm like the operator in the team, and I actually tend to invest quite a bit of time practicing it. And I can say that it's just like, I'm not certain that it's going to be consistently good like that every single time he picks it up. I think he had a few bad games, but like with the op in this game, you, you can't make mistakes. I don't think he has like the, the brain capacity to do that. Like, his playstyle is like he's super aggressive, he's all constantly peaking, over peaking. <laughs> And if shots hit, he's the best player in the world. If shots don't hit, he's the worst player in the world. You know, that's how it works with that agent right. and Jet exhibition and him. You mean we know like you mean like how aggressive he is going for jump peaks and yeah. like trying to make really quick aggro scopes. plays with the op. Yeah, like the quick scopes, the jump peaks, like the daggers, how the way he uses him, like his success rate is good until teams like like now, for example, like teams are gonna watch him play and Everybody knows how to counter him, at least in you. That's how we do theory against players, you know. We can't do too much theory on rounds, but we can see how the player peaks and how he plays, and you can counter that. So I think teams will have an edge on how he peaks, and he's going to get destroyed. That's what I feel like. I mean, do Unless you think that happened? Uh, not against us. We literally got destroyed. No, like I mean, it, I, I guess I mean in this, uh, like, second uh, stage two, then. Do you think that, that pretty like much it. happened? People I just... felt like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, definitely. People had a clue of how he's playing, how he's going to play on, like, defense and attack. And then also, like, they people abused him on economy. He didn't have the op as much, at least I noticed. In this game, like, the yeah. op nerf was just crucial. And mm -hmm. I hope they fix it back because it's really important. Yeah. yeah. To change the price back? Honestly, not the price, but just for me, like, people say with the price, but I would say lower it slightly. Uh, not that much like do it like in cs maybe 4.7 but the most important part is the like the reload speed now you reload the op like a grandma like you can't pull up <laughs> you can shoot one bullet and then like by the time you reload there's gonna be four guys already chasing you down like you can't do anything like before you could shoot two bullets like have like a leg shot or something you can at least do damage to people now you just miss one shot you're dead you know yeah, that's yeah. the reality of it I saw a Twitch clip a while back, actually, of you saying that you enjoy opping on Rainer. You thought that Rainer opping was, uh, was I think you said, was better than Jet opping as well. Can you walk me through that? Like, what, what did you mean by that? Because of, like, the, the, the nerf, uh, like, the, 
the Reyna ult, you will have it if you frag out, you have it every like every six frags, so that's gonna be pretty fast. And the reload speed goes back to the pre pre-nerf speed, and you can actually play really aggressive with it. Yeah. Plus the heal, if you hit the shots, like the heal, you if you peek, for example, an angle and people start shooting for the wall and you get legged, you get the kill, you dismiss, you have full HP again, you can repeek the angle, you know? And with Jet, you can't really do that. You get leg shotted or you get shot at. You're like at 50 HP and you have this like the like so to say like the thinking of like is it worth re-peaking now? Because if I peek, you, you literally two bullets, you're dead. And then I've really you can cut this play, be aggressive. I've never really thought about Rainer ult with orping, honestly. I didn't it didn't even cross my it's mind. It's super overpowered. Like that if you hit shots, that's like there's gonna be some people really consistent with it. I think I saw a few games in Korea that somebody ran the operator up and he was like constantly hitting shots and like they couldn't do anything. He's like full HP constantly repeaking them and it's like, what can you do against them? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot who was like right at that point. Like <laughs> Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. I know that you picked up the op a couple of times when you were playing. Actually, in Masters One, you started playing the Rainer on Icebox, so you kind of swapped yeah. the roles around when Isao went over to the race. Uh, was that partly because you liked to op? Because I saw you pick up the op a, a few times, mainly off your opponents rather than buying it yourself, though. Yeah, uh, I said the thing about oping. I said to my team, like, now the op is like, like the economical anchor. Like you. You die, and if people don't pick it up, you put your team in a disadvantage economically. Because you can't have a full buy. At one point, somebody in your team is going to play Bulldog, or like some less weapon, and it's like not worth it to sacrifice for like playing full cav, utility, bundle, phantom, whatever you run, you know? So that I was like, I'm going to pick it up if you pick it up from the enemy team, and it gives us an advantage, you know? That if I lose it, I can buy the next round properly. Instead of buying it myself, and then losing it on the first gun round, and then your economy is effed, directly saying. So basically, cool. if a team if a team ops against you, that's how that's how heretic snowballs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how they snowball. Dude, that icebox map, my god, you popped off! I was jumping out of my chair every single time. You were so close to closing that out. I I've got to imagine that those two clutches, like, hurt really bad to lose the defuse one. That was like literally a sliver. Of, of of time before you were able to stick that through and then the next one as well yeah. to literally win the events how has that affect i mean ha has it affected you ha has that been like a really like negative part where you just can't stop thinking about it because mm. i don't know my experience is when you when you aren't able to close out when it's so close it just hurts i mean i've learned that from playing cs like a lot of times i lost so many important clutches from my career uh, like really important ones mm -hmm. and I learned it how to cope with it I guess that was the good thing that I've learned from CS and in this game like I lost I was like yeah you know it happened how can I fix it in the next round and then like my luck ran out in certain areas and I was like nothing I can do about it you know mm -hmm. I wasn't really that mad I was like more how can we win the next round because they were like getting momentum back and I was getting a bit scared about more than me losing the clutch, but the enemy team getting so much momentum of that clutch in the team. Because, like, from my experience, if you win an important clutch, it like hypes your team so much up and it's like goes like a skyrocket, you know, like instantly. Like, the entire team is momentum swings, like, everybody's hitting their shots again and everything. So, that was my like, can we slow them down? Can we counter that or no? Sure. What, what was the what what was the energy within your team like during? I mean, especially that Icebox game. You had two championship points at um, 
throughout that where if you were able to be close out the round you would have you would have won masters i mean it, it came yeah. that close it really did and it was so back and forth between the two teams and there were it wasn't just like there was miracle plays just on one side either you had that 6k ace where you just decide to face on pipes and destroy everybody um <laughs> what what's the it feels like there must have been a huge ebb and flow in terms of energy throughout that match Oh yeah, it was like a roller coaster. I think like it was up and down, up and down. Like, like especially the last two rounds, like the stress of everybody. I heard it like constantly, like in people's voices. You could constantly hear like the fear of losing this map because we go on ascent. We know that they have the momentum. Like we can't really close them out because they're gonna be really excited and everything. So, I think it was really positive, but like really stressed out. Like the environment, like that. I feel like it was like that, at least on the 12, like the two map points or like the three, I think it was 12-9 and then we lost the three rounds in a row, if I recall correctly. Something like and that, yeah, one, yeah. One, yeah. And then, yeah, a lot of stress, I think. Plus the inexperience on the map. Like we, when we played against these guys, I think we have like two pracs on the map in three months. We oh, haven't sense. played Icebox at all. No, no, Icebox. Oh, we haven't played Icebox at all. Right, right, and right. And we almost won against them, you know, that was like... Plus, we didn't play with Niso. Like, we didn't play at all with him because he had this family stuff right. going on. We gave him, like, a goodbye map, theoretically saying, on Icebox. We agreed on it. Like, instead of him, like, instead of Power, he would play as, like, a goodbye map before he quits, you know, playing for I don't know how long. Right. Like, his last final run. Yeah, gotcha. Is it... I mean, that was... Um... That series, I guess, kind of put the six-man roster to the test as well because you had to yeah. play out all five maps, switching players between. What is that like as well with the sort of uh, more of the emotional and mental factors they're talking about as well? Like one guy sitting on the sideline for, yeah, for instance, like having to come back in on the final map, but power sitting out for Icebox, which was a taxing map to, to have to experience. What is that then like for him coming in after? Like, what is, what is the emote? Like, I guess, where is his head at sitting out for that and then coming in versus you guys having to go through that entire grueling map? Uh, I think he was even more stressed out than we were, to be honest. Like, I heard, like... <laughs> There was a round, I think, after we lost, and he didn't mute his mic. He was like in Discord with us and everything. I think he was like not muted for like a few rounds, or he misclicked up accident and unmuted. We heard him scream after we lost a certain round. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> I heard the scream and I'm like, okay, next is a scent. I have to play with this guy that's like really emotional right now. Like, you know, this is not going to be good. And yeah. I don't like the, the six-man roster thing. I feel like you have to play with the same five, at least in this game for now. At least that's the future of it. Really? Not yet. Yeah. Because a lot of people early. around the scene have the exact same opinion, where they don't like six-man rosters. But it felt like Heretics were the team that was doing it correctly. Uh, you know, yeah. of, of every team in the scene, you were the only team that had very strict identities for your players of when they come in, what they do, yeah. This is your role. You know when you're sitting out. You know when you're getting played. And there's a theory behind it. It's not just random or based on who's feeling it that day or anything like that. Um, but it sounds like it was more born out of necessity rather than yeah. a choice. 
but is that a kind of opinion that's shared by the whole team that it's not something that you would want to do in the future as uh, if given the choice i mean it started like the thing it was like the niso situation with his family and stuff it was already like known before the first strike so it was like a ticking time bomb and it was like really stressful for everybody right so we like i already said like i don't want to play that much with him i know that he's the best player but like I feel like that uncertainty in like, like our game, our plans and everything, because like, he's not always here and he's not always watching the games with us. The I man is like a six man guy. He's not always there with us in the game watching, because there's going to be like, there was a period when Lowell hurt his finger and he couldn't play the qualifiers. Yeah. Yeah. And he had to fill for us. And well, that was just like, it was good, but he filled with the skill, not just like knowledge of what we did in Prague, you know? Mm-hmm. That was like the hard part. There was like all the random stuff. Rubino was calling instead of Chris. It's just, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan. I feel like it's like really unstable when you have a six man roster, especially with CS players. Like we don't like it because if you tell a CS player that he's going to sit out the match, it feel, like the first thing it hits into his head is like, I'm bad at something and somebody else is filling the gaps right now, you know? That's right, how I yeah. feel the same. Like, if somebody would switch me out, I would be like, yeah, I'm probably shit on this map and in this role. And that means, like, like the guys, they think that the guy is better than me. And that's like a, a punch to the stomach, you know? Like, as a player, the confidence drops in, like, pretty fast. So you need to get switched out. Not sure about how it is in Overwatch, but I feel like at least that's with CS players that are, like, manifesting yeah. Valorant right now. I think that's yeah. like the the divide in the community is like the Overwatch yeah. analysts and and stuff like that are like yeah six man seven man whatever I don't know if you, you obviously I don't know that much about Overwatch either but all the CS guys it all it it feels like the ego is yeah. like the big thing and and that's yeah. not to say like that's a bad thing but it definitely feels like every time I see it brought up it's like I would never want to be a six man right uh, so yeah we did like a thing like we can't release him because he's like the best player in you. Like literally the best player individually. Like you could put anything like with him, and the guy couldn't compete with him. Like his game sense and how he clutches, so everything. Like he's the best split player, I think. Like honestly, and we can't lose him. Like he's the reason why we win split a lot of the times because of his individual skill. Like he fills the gaps really well. So we couldn't just. So that's like the the thing we made. Like Rubino sits out, he plays split. Rubino comes in for the other maps, you know. So yeah. Yeah, I wanted to continue talking about this as well in terms of like um when you you guys knew that he was going to be leaving too um did you guys put plans into place of what would happen when he's no longer that sixth man um the the compositions that you've been running recently that kind of stuff rubino swapping over to play uh breach for example when it comes to split had you guys already put a plan into place of like this is what the team looks like once Nisau is gone, once we don't have that other player to rely on? Oh, yeah. We had the talks, like, quite long. Even with Ruben, like, Rubino, I mean, we discussed it, like, what can you play on those maps if he leaves, you know? Like, what can you... Can you start working on those agents, you know? Can you do this, like, like prematurely, so to say, like, so we are ready. We don't lose time if he leaves. Like, we have already some theory, we have some plan, we know what agent you're going to play, you know what things you need to figure out as a player. Um, yeah, we did a lot of thinking before he left. I mean, still quite sad, but still, we, it happened. So yeah. we have to make the best of it. Yeah. 
I, I want to briefly as well just ask like the the community reaction as well did that how was that received within the team because a lot of people within eu just I, they just can't resist the the drama of like the people making cheating accusations all over the place and that kind of stuff it's just irresistible to people and so even when you know someone's got a, a, a family problem that's preventing them from pursuing their dream and it's clearly hurting heretics and it's like a personal matter there yeah. there's there's still this kind of feeling of uh, like juiciness within the community that this shit yeah. is going on and that everyone's trying to like stick their nose into it what was that like from within the team when you have the knowledge of the guy and talking to the guy and 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 people from the outside are perceiving it in such a different way uh, i mean it's kind of stressful too because like you look at it from like a funny point of view like so to say you look at it as like fun we laugh about it too um then you look at the proof and you look for the proof as like a player like you played i played a lot of games i look at the proof and it's literally made by like some silver guy that has no clue about gaming like it's like the most basic you know <laughs> like the most basic kills and the guy is cheating and i'm like sitting there like then there's like the thing when you play with him he has more worse days than he has good days in Prague, or like even officials like you guys don't they don't see that you know like what we see and then of course he has those rounds when he's just insane and you're like is he actually cheating you know and that's like that like you literally like he just like he sits quiet for like a month and then that one round he's just like best frags like the best highlight ever like you're just sitting there like that confusion you know inside you and you you try to trust it but you can't trust it and it's like you know like the paranoia kicks in eventually that's how we felt in the end at least with him being uncertain if he's gonna play he's not gonna play it's just like max confusion and just like uncertainty in the team yeah. because we're gonna lose the, a really good player in the team yeah yeah is it I, I suppose maybe it's relieving in a sense then as well that there's some sort of stability now you just know yeah. that you're going to be playing with rubino and I'm, I'm assuming so that is the case then yeah it's, it honestly felt like after he left like there was like a bad period in the prac process but then we saw like the like the progress we can actually make because I mean, Iso is a good player, but he lacks in other aspects. I feel like the communication part is like, it's a big void there, which like the fragging, yeah, it fills it, but you, it kind of affects the team, you know, in some aspects. Like he's insane aimer and mechanics and everything, but communication and teamwork is not like as bad, as good as Rubino's. Right, mm -hmm. right. Sure. Um, I wanted to talk about the, uh, the, the other drama that surrounded the um, the end of Masters, your your loss to Ascend too, because the the whole thing came out afterwards with the the kind of coaching IGL uh, drama and and that kind of aspect of the game. So I think there was a lot of questions around Ascenders whether or not they can keep up this from like an individual point of view. Can CNED keep popping? Can Bone call, keep hitting those kind of shots to be able to make it work. But then also, you know, Riot releases this statement saying that some of the, uh, they'd been communicating rules unclearly within the TO and Ascend posts this YouTube video of their IG, their, their coach talking in the middle of the game as well. Did, um, did, what was your, what's your point of view on that? Do you get involved in that at all? Does that affect you as a player and uh, affect the way that you think about your results in that final? uh i mean i give it to them like they still played insane i don't think that coach had a lot of impact in that game like he i mean he had impact but like i don't want to sound like butter that we lost and be like yeah we should be 
we should have won if they didn't have the coach or whatever. But I think for the future, like from my point of view, if I would be sitting in spec and watching a stream and anti-striding and seeing the gaps that they like that enemy team is making, I could probably make a really good call every single round for my team to do, you know? That's the thing. Even if it's like 90 second delay, like two, three minutes or whatever it is, you know. Uh, you can still, if you're a good player and you have like a like a game sense, you could actually anti-stride like live. So I think that should be fixed. Because like in this tournament, for example, we saw the qualifiers and they were still they were still doing it. They were streaming on Discord and they were like in TeamSpeak. They're just muted, you know? Like it's exactly the same. Like how can you avoid it on online? It's impossible. It's not like on land, the coaches get muted. They have like 60, I mean, they have like 30 seconds through the, the pause to talk, give a plan or whatever. They're like constantly calling for them, you know? Like every single plan, I think, if I recall the video was like, he called literally like 75% of the rounds for them, like what to do or how to push on defense and stuff. So it's like they have no IGL, you know, I'm not sure how they're going to play without him. Does that affect your kind of confidence going forwards as well? Being like, okay, we can, uh, um, uh, we, we know that we can replicate success again in the future because it's not something that we have to worry about or we know that we're better than those guys when it's just the five of us in the server. Is there some mentality factor that plays into this too? I mean, it helped. I mean, uh, it made the loss not as hard on us. No, a bit. Like, people were like, for me, I didn't care, but from other teammates, I felt like that thing that we heard about the coach and whatever, I gave us, like, you know, that, like, relief slightly, you know? Like, they, I don't think everybody thought that they would have played as good as they played with the coach, you know, calling for them. That's what they felt, at least my teammates. At least I felt from them and what I heard from, like, the talks we had. So, yeah, I gave it, I feel, it gave us, like, a bit of confidence, too, for the future. I, I, I want to... Um, so going into Masters 2, let's move on to the most recent tournament, right? We're, yeah. we're on the road to Iceland. I think I saw a tweet from you or something, or maybe it was like a clip from stream. Have you talking about your own confidence being... like you, I think you said it was like at an all-time low or something like that. Can you... Am I, am I right in, in remembering that quote? And if so, can you explain some more about like what, what you meant there? I mean, before like a week... Literally the week before the qual, I mean, we had a break. We come back. I have like, um, like a slump directly saying, and I can't get out of it. You know, like nothing I did in prac, nothing I do in ranked or anything I play, even that match. I'm like constantly changing settings. Like I had like a massive slump. It hit the most important part for Iceland. You know, for qualifying to the event, and. That's what I felt like, like my confidence was all time low, like doing that the most important part, like from having this kind of confidence, you know, like sitting like this to going to down, down, down deep. And then you're like, what can I do? You know, hopefully it passes as fast as it can. Do you, did you experience that as a, as a mental thing or did, uh, did that, um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do you feel like the mental affected your game or the fact that you were playing a worse game affected your mental? Like, which came first? How did you perceive that? I think um, it was like a ticking time bomb, I think. You know, uh, the first one is like, the, yeah, me playing bad affected like in the officials. Like, I had a bad period, like a small bad period. Like, I was not putting up the numbers or like the way I was playing was not the same. So that affected me a lot because I couldn't manipulate the same way I play in Prague or the other officials. That affected me, yes, like quite a bit. And then... 
I just couldn't get my head in. Like nothing was like anywhere going as planned as I wanted. So it just affected me mentally a lot, like a lot. So I don't know if I answered the question. It's just yeah, no, I, I get it, I get it. The period after Masters One had the you know Astra came back in. There was a lot of like hard work that needed to be put in. That was honestly very short amount of time for especially you guys who played in the final yeah. on the last day, right? It's like a a week of preparation for you guys. We Do you think that all anything. that? What's that? We didn't prepare for anything. We went on uh, a break, literally. We went and then you guys come back off. playing. You come back playing Astro, though. Like you guys were. Um, the thing is, we were practicing Astro before. Like, mm. uh, Avoa was putting already like a lot of hours into the agent. That's why we like he know he knew everything about agents. We knew everything about agents, so it was not as hard okay. to transition and use it, you know. But still, like the period, like the week, we didn't fix anything. We were like we played for like two or three months straight after New Year's without any single breaks, like that many weekends off or anything, and we're like mentally exhausted, all of us, you know. Yeah. And we're like, we need a few days off, and then it. that was the outcome. Sadly. Yep. I mean, dude, we're grinding so hard. It feels like every single week it's a tournament yeah. that we have to play. It's 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 insane for everybody in the scene. I um, mean, what, one of the things that we were discussing as well, especially Bala kept bringing this up, was that mm -hmm. within the EU scene, if you uh, if you do well in one of the original challengers, you don't get a buy into deep into the next round or anything. You know, if you're yeah. If you're a team that does well in Masters, you make it to the final. You don't get a you don't get to skip any period of yep. fighting the bottom level teams. And if you do well in Challengers One, you don't really get anything in Challengers anything, Two either. Yeah. Uh, we are upset about that a lot. Like especially coming from CS, it's like like the rankings does a big effect on like if you're gonna get invited to the next event, you have to skip this period. You know, of like open qualifiers, close qualifiers, and everything. So we're like we got top two in the tournament and now we have to play through open qualifiers again theoretically skipping one day just like a one day best to freeze like that's like against noobs we skip that so that it doesn't give us anything you know like literally nothing at all and we're like we can't practice do anything about it like some teams that bombed out in like the first days of the other event they had like literally like two weeks of practice almost yeah. that mm -hmm. lost the first like the first event Including, I think it was FPX and other guys like who who lost pretty early. I don't remember. I didn't really track well, them. G two is one of those for sure. Yeah, exactly. They didn't even so they didn't like, even make it to the challengers one, and and then yeah. yeah. Now they, it's like you know, now they're gods. But then then they didn't even make it through either because <laughs> <laughs> it's so damn hard in the first place. Like right. to get top two is ridiculous. It's, a, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and it seems like that period of time was a bit of you guys trying to reinvent yourself with Nisa being out too. Because yeah. mm -hmm. if uh, the the matches I want to focus on are the ones where you ended up getting upset, and I'm going to call them both upsets because I feel like Heretics overall are is a better team than both BDS and G2. So I, I would perceive them as upsets. The first one to BDS, they're a good team. They've been making deep runs in tournaments. I'm, a, mm -hmm. you know, full credit. You know, they're like a fourth or fifth best team in Europe right now, I think. And uh, it's a pity they haven't made it to EMEA, actually. But they, it was your first time ever losing on Haven. And then also in the final map on Ascent, you guys had Lowell on Phoenix too, which I think was a shock to everybody. And 
when I tuned in and I'd only watched a, a little bit of it, I was like, what the fuck has gone on in this match? This is crazy <laughs> shit. Like, how did they lose on Haven? They've never lost there before. And also, Ascent has just... I mean, that wasn't even a map where Nisau used to play. So in theory, you guys could run the same stuff if you wanted to. But it, it, it seems like you as a team really wanted to shift your identity after the most recent tournament. Yeah, we wanted to do that but then like we the practice for example for this that like those officials was really good with the phoenix and everything was going really well and then like we lacked the time for like official to actually like an official match with their stress and everything mm -hmm. to just test out how we can play with this comp you know so we practiced it went well and then we play against these guys the haven was literally a lot of miscommunication that was the hardest part that lost us the game a lot of like misheard plans and everything and they just I mean, they're probably one of the longest rosters in the EU. Like, these guys have been together for a really long time. Like, they have everything down. And we played like, against a really good stable team with good aimers. So you give them like small mistakes and they take them. Yeah. On Ascent, it's just a bit sad because um, uh, after losing our best map, I feel like the mentality in the team shifted, you know? Like, we did not expect that to happen. Right. So it was like... People were not as happy, I think. Mm -hmm. Plus, the stress was not still, like, sort of say, done from the first map. Sure. And then we just got snowballed. Like, that's the thing for us right now. Like, we, you're good. If we get, like, the first map win, or it's, like, a close map or whatever, we, we try to close it out as fast as we can, at least, I feel, right now. And if we don't, we, we might get snowballed or upset, how people like to call it. So, yeah. This so what's uh, what is the takeaway then moving forward? What what from this event uh, are you going to take away and then you know try and uh, uh, make it through for getting more points to make champions in the next stage? Uh, fixing most likely the like the, the most hardest things to fix it's like the pistol rounds and the anti ecos. You know, we lost mm -hmm. so many in this tournament and in all tournaments, which comes back and bites it to the ass. Because we literally lost so many games and like comebacks because of like ecos and anticos. Mm -hmm. And some just we're missing plans and time on certain maps too. We for example we don't play bind as much as we used to. We ban it now because we have no time to theory on how we want to play with Rubino and what right. agency wants to play and whatever. So lack of time that's also a key, which we're gonna have now with like the two months until the next qualifiers for like the what's next masters, I think. Challengers? What was it? I forgot. Yeah, it's like the Stage next challenge. three challengers. But there is a big break. Next there's, there's, there's like a whole yeah, month right. break actually between. Like right now, yeah. No, no. It's I like mean, even month. after. I think. After? I, I'm. A, I think so. Like no. I saw a schedule recently. Isn't there a month break between Masters? I think and the break is now. The break is now. Actually, I think oh. the one you're talking about right now. It's like the gap is like a right. month and a half, almost two months. Right. Okay. Yeah, For some reason, uh, I thought there was Iceland nothing happening is, in June. Iceland is in the end of May, and then the next one starts in June. Does it? Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. It never ends. Shit's crazy. Still, like, it really never ends. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> like, Two months still. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, with what you guys did for First Strike, you guys are going to rebuild your confidence, right? Yeah. Completely and in practice, and then come out swinging, and you guys will have more time than anybody, honestly. That's, that's a scary thought for the rest of you, right? Like, yeah. 
uh, heretics that's practiced again and ready to ready to face with with them not having any idea of how to prep for you guys that yeah that was the advantage that really solidified first strike and now it's here again i think that's good yeah let's hope that's goes as planned like i mean <laughs> we made this plan and we even made like a practice schedule and everything how we're gonna do it after we come back after the break yep so let's hope the plan works out and we can actually qualify and win the next thing so mm. the the teams that ended up beating you bds and g2 to knock you out on the road to iceland neither of them have actually made it to the emea finals the bds uh, in in my opinion upset again themselves by liquid in in a crazy crazy game um yeah. and g2 weren't able to make it through the bracket they got stumped by uh by fanatic right in the opening round who also so it's fanatic and liquid that have actually made it out of that second road of challenges how well represented do you think Europe is by those four teams? FPX, Guild, Liquid, Fnatic. Liquid and Fnatic in particular have made a lot of, not a lot of, but they've made some significant roster changes and like comp changes recently. And they're quite young, this like version of their teams. They're, they're quite young. How, do, do you feel like Europe's sending the four best teams that they could be sending if we ignore the fact that you guys aren't there? Like the four best teams apart from Heretics? I think FPX and Fnatic can represent you quite well. Not sure about who was Guild and Guild and Liquid. Was the other. Not sure about Liquid and Guild. That's the only things I'm not sure about. I think Fnatic and uh, FPX can definitely represent well. I'm not sure about the Angel Curse, uh, as I like to call. <laughs> like if they, because I played with him for quite a bit, and yeah. I feel like that guy has a slight. Like, sort of say curse on him, like his team <laughs> just crumbles on land somehow. Right, right. Not, not blaming the players, you know, just blaming the IGL. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, I hope they actually practice quite a bit. They didn't practice against us. They they practiced less like known teams on purpose, especially right. like the Turkish teams. Like they were preparing for the Turkish power, which is really scary to you. These guys, the Turkish guys, are insane. Same goes for Gambit. Like they're gonna face really strong guys. I'm not even joking, especially online, or like yeah. the yeah. like like BBL. We practice against footballers. We practice against and those guys. Like if they continue playing the same aggressive way they played, I don't think FPX or even any U team has a chance against them. I'm not even joking about really it. the they Turkish. Don't like they don't like you guys don't even know they are like playing on another gear. Like the aggressive like U teams are aggressive. Like those guys are like four times more aggressive than EU teams. <laughs> like you think you're safe? There's a guy like a Sentinel is gonna go and peek you like four times, even if it's like five HP. <laughs> like they don't care. Like honestly, they play yeah. like Russians back in CS. They don't care about who they're facing. They just go all headshots and they actually hit. <laughs> like yeah. they're consistent, like yeah. really consistent. Because back when, I mean, when you were doing that like tier two grind on the way into uh, into first strike, that was the same kind of time period where Summon FC were actually on the come up as well, right before first strike, and they were playing in tournaments with teams like Oxygen. They like a lot of these Turkish teams and the yeah. CIS teams too. I think this was right before Gambit had actually formed, but similar levels of teams had been playing, and they hadn't no Turkish, no full Turkish or full CIS yeah. team had cracked the top eight maybe in europe so 
I was thinking it was probably going to be something similar heading into this Masters, or rather into the EMEA Finals, where the Turkish and the CIS teams are good, but they're not quite as good as the top EU. From what you're saying, it seems like they are properly dangerous. I think it's, like, the thing is, like, a lot of a lot of them are, like, CS pros. Like, the Turkish teams that the players are playing in Turkey are literally half of the Turkish scene in CS. They transition into this game. All of them played CS. Everybody knows the right. basics of the game. It's, like, no complete noobs so to say, playing, and they're actually, like, their mechanics, like, seen as an example of mechanics, you know, like, from Turkey, like, yeah, the guy that's presenting Turkey. Now yeah. imagine five guys on the team with the same mechanics going up against, like, you think Scream is scary. You don't know how scary it's to practice against a Turkish team. Like, you, you think you have a default or anything. That default gets run over within seconds. Like, the round doesn't last longer than 15 seconds. That's how they play. <laughs> Just imagine I'm that. Terrified, but I'm 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 writing this off as, hope, as heretics propaganda can, right now. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Think they, I hope they play the same way, so everybody in the world sees how Turkish teams play. Like well, I'm not even joking. The um the other aspect of this too is I've talked to a lot of uh, EU teams who've scrimmed against Gambit because a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of them play against Gambit as like a, an extremely good team that's outside of the European circuit. So you get good practice but you yeah. don't um, reveal your hand to anybody that you're going to be playing against in a bracket itself. And from what a lot of the EU people have been saying, it seems like Gambit perform much better in scrims than they do in matches, um, possibly because they're so young or inexperienced or something like that. Do you think the same kind of thing could happen here where perhaps this like aggressive style just or, or like the, the things that they would go for in scrims, they temper down and don't have the confidence to do when it gets to match day itself i mean i think so at least with gambit i follow them quite a bit i mean we practice against them a lot and we i think we only won against them three times we had we practiced them like a hundred times i'm not even joking <laughs> we, literally, we literally won like three times against them those guys in pranks alongside with like who else like the turkish teams like bbl we probably won them like a few times i'm not even joking like they're insane in practice and then we like we usually warm them up for officials and then they play the official and they barely take any rounds. And I'm like, why can't you play the same? You know, like what's stopping you? Like, maybe right, right. speak to their opponents uh, too, right? I feel like it's an experience thing, but yeah. Like in this game now, it's like, I've, there's so many upsets because there's no demos. There's no footage. Games are, games are not getting streamed, like streamed. We don't ourselves don't even know how to prepare for certain opponents. We just hope for the best when we get into the game, you know, like <laughs> hoping like we win the pistol round, yeah, we can, you know, win the first gun round if it goes as planned because I don't know. They need to add a demo system, so there's gonna be less upsets when that comes out. Mm. What are your thoughts then? Preach. What are your thoughts then when it comes to like Iceland? In terms of EMEA, let's let's start there. You're you're bigging up the Turkish teams and the CIS team as well. But if you had to give me a prediction of who would make it to Iceland from EMEA, who are you going for? Like, who would you put your money on? Um, wait, it's two, te two teams per region, right? Yeah, I mean, there's only, yeah, yeah, two, two going it's only two that end up going through. So, Gee. max two. So it's very tough. Uh, Guild, Liquid, mm. Fnatic, uh, and FPX from EU. Yeah. Gambit from CIS. Then BBL, Oxygen. And footballist from Turkey. Yeah. Two out of all those. I just feel like Gambit and like the, the Turkish guys are gonna upset all the U teams. I just have that feeling, you know. Like just from cracking them and especially this part is still online. 
I think they can easily destroy these PCU teams without any problems. Um, okay, my prediction is going to be Fnatic and BBL going through. I okay. think that's my prediction. I honestly feel like that. God, that cool. is such that a is, fiery hot take. Is, it's amazing. I know. <laughs> that is spicy. That's, yeah, I, but it's, <laughs> it is wild. I mean, all of these teams are so good as well, I feel. And one of them could just turn up. <laughs> yeah. And I we don't even know what Fnatic like a honeymoon yeah, period right now because of yeah. the new roster. That's my thinking process well they also right, right, just sure. became a cis team too and they picked up yeah. dirk yeah, yeah yeah dirk is very good i too. mean dirk dirk is finnish if i recall correctly like he's fully oh, i thought finnish, he was playing but... on cis teams right yeah he was but he's like in finland there's a lot of people mm -hmm. that speak russian that's because like a lot of russian people move in there and like great families forgive my na mind yeah i think he's 80 percent finnish if i recall correctly right he said right. something like that. right so and then that's my bold prediction. Well, I, I mean, I'm loving these bold predictions. So let's end on a bold prediction about Iceland as well. What, in terms of how the regions stack up, you you seem to be somewhat familiar with the NA scene. Like you've watched some of the games at least. Um, how how do you feel the regions are going to stack up against each other? Whoever makes it out of EMEA against NA, against Brazil, against Korea. There's like Japan and Latin America and Southeast Asia and stuff in there as well. It, is there any region where you felt like they're ahead of the game right now and they're the favorites to win? For me, the Brazilians are like a big underdog. At least from like I'm watched quite a few of the games and that like Gamelanders and who was it else? Vikings or Vikings or yeah, they have a pretty decent playstyle that could upset. I think like Vikings could counter NA easily. Because how they like countered Gamelanders playstyle is like NA style of play. So I think like the Brazilians could definitely upset a lot of teams and even win the first event, the international event. At least that's how I feel. And I feel vision strikers are gonna flop against any comp like any opposition from NA or EU. Even though I'm a big fan of vision strikers. That's how I feel about it. Like they have theory, but they're not playing against that good of opponents you know so it just works everything they do it just works and it just feels random sometimes that's right, a right. plat chat worthy prediction if i've ever heard it yeah is just i feel like they play a bit too puggy like certain teams like honey teams are i saw like they have more like tactics but the rest of the region feels like even sentinels feels like really puggy i love the players but like it feels like if they hit shots, they win their officials. But if they don't, it's just upsets, losing to teams and whatever. Well, welcome yeah. to Plot Chat. You can be our fourth <laughs> member. <laughs> that's that literally just, what we say every that time. That is just what we say every week. <laughs> I mean, Brazilian underdogs, Korea's going to flop. <laughs> I mean, the, it's just, uh, the, yeah. It just makes me realize, though, how nutty this portion of Valorant's history is going to be. Because there's no fucking way anyone really knows what's happening here. Yeah, like, exactly. is EU going to win? Is Turkey <laughs> yeah. going to win? I don't know. Who's going to win Iceland? Who the hell knows? Yeah. Is there some kind of... Is this? I know that the aspiration for any pro is going to be to make it to big tournaments like this and win them. But is there some kind of enjoyment to watching everybody else get boomed? Like if everyone just got, got rolled by some random team from 
Latin America. X10. Would they, yeah, also X10 from yeah. Thailand, are they? Yes. Yeah. Brand like if that East happened, would go. you guys just, would, would would Nucky just be sat there at home going like, uh, <laughs> I would be eating my popcorn and just being so satisfied because like, you know, when you don't qualify to it and then you see the teams getting clapped, the teams you would clap and you're like, yeah, hello. <laughs> you know, like full satisfaction, just chilling there. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Nucky. It's been a pleasure talking to you as well, thank and you. good luck with the with the future. It seems like you'll be going dark for a little while with your team and Heretics, yeah. but we'll uh, we'll definitely be following you when you pop back up for the next Masters tournament coming around as well. And thanks for uh, thanks for sharing. What have we got coming up? Another, another episode? episode? <laughs> yeah, just an episode on Wednesday. Yeah, another little regular episode on Wednesday. So you got to tune in for that. you got to subscribe to the YouTube channel somewhere around here. Yeah, that mm -hmm. makes sense. And uh, we'll see you then, I suppose. We've got ourselves some preds to be doing of NA and all sorts NA, of recaps. E, of I mean, just, It's just manic right now, isn't it? My, my EMEA starts this weekend. So like, EMEA starts on Friday, by the way. It just <laughs> never ends. No. It simply doesn't end. All right, we'll see you on Wednesday, everybody. Bye-bye.